I was talking to uh, somebody this morning. Actually, I was talking to John Fryman this morning. And it's interesting, you know, we're, we're going through these four seasons of life that all men go through. And last week we covered the season of crisis and renewal. This week we're covering suffering, the season of suffering. And it's really interesting when you start dealing with these kinds of topics, guess what happens? Suffering starts happening around you. Crisis starts to take place around you. Not necessarily in my life, but just in your, your guys' lives. And we've got two cases uh, this morning that I want us to, to pray about. One is John Fryman. His wife, Sarah, um, has breast cancer. And uh, she's going to be going in probably next week for surgery. And so we need to be praying for, the, for both of them, for John and for Sarah, that, um, that the tumor is localized and there's no spread of the cancer and that they can get it and completely eradicate that in her life. The second one, and what I, what I want to do is we're going to, John, I just want you to stay seated. And then in a minute, I want some guys to go over there and lay their hands on John. And then we're going to pray for Ray Coleman and his wife, Priscilla. Um, Priscilla has Parkinson's. And um, in the last six months, he was telling me this morning, she's lost about 20 pounds. And so she's going to the doctor uh, tomorrow, well, today, uh, to try to figure out what's going on. Um, Ray and I both, I'm not a doctor, but I think a lot of it's stress because of stuff going on in her life uh, with kids and family and uh, living with Ray. Um, <laughs> but we need to pray for, for Priscilla um, and for Ray. And I know there's probably others in the room right now that I, I'm not aware of, but um, we need to lift each other up. You know, we've been talking for a long time, guys, about this is a brotherhood. We're brothers in Christ, and we need to come alongside one another and pray for one another in these seasons of crisis, seasons of suffering. And so that's what we're going to do right now. So if guys get around Ray and others get around John, and we're just going to spend a little bit of time in prayer. So do that right now. And what I'd like is just one or two guys pray out loud for Ray and Priscilla, and then over here a couple of guys pray for John and Sarah. And then I'll close this. Father, we uh, come to you this morning and we just uh, lift up these two men and their wives to you. And Father, we pray that you would do what only you can do, that you would bring comfort, uh, that you would bring peace, that you would bring uh, healing. Uh, Father, we um, don't understand Parkinson's. We uh, certainly don't understand why these things happen. And that's exactly what we're talking about this morning, Father. And so we have here two examples of men who legitimately have the right to ask, why? Why my wife? Why now? And Father, we know you're not obligated to answer that question. So in place of an answer to that question, Father, we, we ask that you would just show yourself strong by providing peace for Ray and for John I pray that you would um, give wisdom to the doctors, that they might be able to figure out what's going on with the weight loss in Priscilla's life, and uh, that she could gain back the weight she's lost, and, Father, that she could have a, a, 
a normal life, even with Parkinson's, Father. And I pray that for Sarah, that the doctors would be able to uh, remove the tumor and that uh, there would be no trace of cancer when they're done. Father, you're a great God, and we thank you that you love us, and we thank you that you allow us to love one another. And help us to understand, Father, that every one of us in this room are going to go through times of suffering, and we're not meant to do it alone. We need one another. And so, Father, I I pray that we will continue to lift up these guys. I pray for other men in the room who are going through some tough times right now that we're not aware of. And I pray that they, too, would reach outside of themselves and seek the help and the comfort and the brotherhood of other men so that we can stand beside them. And, Father, we're going to thank you even now for what you're going to do in these two situations and how you're going to show yourself strong and you're going to work a miracle on your terms, in your time, and in your way. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Well, we're uh, this morning talking about suffering. Kind of interesting that these two things are staring us in the face. And it, when, you, when you talk about these things, it does raise the question, doesn't it, of why? You know, why, why does this have to happen, God? Why me? Why now? Why not somebody else? Sometimes uh, when you get into a, a time of suffering, you also ask the question, what have I done wrong? Where have I sinned? What, what, I must have done something to deserve this. And yet that's not necessarily the case, is it? And I think the enemy attacks us. The enemy whispers in our ear. Um, we believe, I think most guys in this room believe that God allows these things to happen. I don't think we... We believe that God causes these things to happen. God does not cause cancer, um, but God does allow. If he's a sovereign God, he's aware. He, he's not up in heaven with his back turned. He, he didn't get busy with somebody else and then one day turn around and go, oh, my gosh, Priscilla has Parkinson's. How did that happen? But he, he knows. He's aware. So you sit there and go, why, why, God? And then when will it all be over? How long do we have to go through this? How long is this season of suffering going to last? And that's a legitimate question to ask. And this is a a topic, guys, that um, we don't like to talk about in the church. We don't preach a lot of sermons on it. We don't, you know, it's not a hot topic on TV. Most, Most preachers on TV don't talk about it because it's not something we want to talk about. But suffering is real, isn't it? It happens all the time. It's all around us. And in a body like Christ Chapel, it's going to happen. This is a big church with a lot of people, and there's a lot of suffering going on, either directly or indirectly. It could be a loved one. It could be a friend, a neighbor. So what do we do with it? How do we handle it? How do we as men handle this issue of suffering? A couple of things. Number one, suffering is real. Um, You sit and talk to... John, you know, and talk about his relationship to Sarah and his love for Sarah. And this is, this is real. This is his wife, and it's a real situation. It's scary. Uh, you talk to Ray and Priscilla, and, you know, 21 years they've been together, and, and it's, it's real. It's, it's painful. It hurts. Suffering is real. 
And it's all around us, guys. Um, I'm, I'm becoming more and more aware of that in the role that I now find myself in this church, that it's a, it's a real thing, and it's everywhere you look if you keep your eyes open. Because people are hurting all around us. And so it's something we got to really think about. It's inevitable. It's inescapable. It's just there. And we can't ignore it. We can't not talk about it. And we also can't prevent suffering. You know, we try to avoid it. We try to just, you know, gosh, I hope that never happens to me. But it could and it might. And this is not this morning. I don't want to scare you. I don't want to depress you. It's just, it's a reality. And we got to deal with it. And you know what's interesting is you go back through the scriptures and the word of God promises suffering. And I know if you're like me, I have never memorized these verses. These are not verses I tend to want to memorize. But my beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. Don't be surprised. It's going to happen. It's, it's kind of strange. It's bizarre. But don't be surprised when it comes. How about this one? In this, talking about God's protection, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, tribulations, tough times, sometimes as a result of our faith, sometimes just as a result of life. They come. And then consider it all joy, my brethren, when, not if, but when, you encounter various trials. Consider it all joy. Um, now, this one I, I pretty much have memorized just because I've never understood it. It just, consider it all joy. Okay. Not sure I understand that. Not sure I want to do that. But this is what we're told to do in Scripture. So there's a lot of Scriptures about suffering and our relationship to it. So how do, how do, we, uh, how do we respond to suffering, guys? What are some of the natural responses to suffering you guys have had? Anger. What? Fear. What else? Sin? Yeah. Yeah. Aggravate it with a little sin. Hitting. Pity. I thought I said hitting. I, I do that. Yeah. Just, that's why my kids run away. Yeah. Dad's suffering. Run. What else? Hitting. Pity. Questioning. Yeah. You know, there's all kinds of reactions we can have. We can, you know, go into despondency, depression. We can get angry. We can get frustrated. But the question is, how do you, how do, you, do you respond to suffering? You know, let's say, again, today you, you get a call and it's, you know, it's some investment you made and it's gone completely south and you've lost a fortune. How are you going to handle that? Uh, it's the middle of the night. The phone rings. And it's a phone call we all dread that something terrible has happened to one of your kids. They've been in an accident. Uh, some of you guys have lived this. Some of you have been there. How are you going to handle that? Um, it could be any of a number of things. It could be bankruptcy. It could be, you know, finding out you've got cancer, a loved one has cancer. It could be finding out that your mates left you. Uh, how are you going to handle that? The loss of a job, the loss of a child. How do we handle the suffering? Well, a few things here, some simple truths about suffering, guys. Number one, to question is natural. It's not a sin. It's natural to say, you know, why? What's going on here? That's a natural thing. Um, 
you don't just sit there and go numb and not feel anything. So it's a natural thing to question. Despondency is normal. When you suffer, it's, it's normal to get despondent. What's abnormal is to stay that way, especially as a believer. Our ability to understand it is negligible. And we can sit around and we can try to figure it out and we can debate and we can argue and we can run around in circles like dogs chasing our tails trying to figure out why, what's going on, and trying to answer all these t- tough questions. We'll never fully understand suffering. We're not meant to fully understand it. The counsel of others is often non-biblical. And this is really critical. You know, at least two of the guys that, that are part of the Friday morning group we meet with who's, who've been having struggles with their marriage have wives who have said, God is telling me to divorce my husband. That is non-biblical any way you look at it. And they're getting that counsel from good Christian friends. It's non-biblical. So be careful. In a time of suffering, you may be surrounded by all kinds of well-meaning friends who tell you non-biblical information. And you need to just keep going back to the Word. Most of the time they don't mean ill will, but you've got to go back to the truth. And the tendency is to become narcissistic. Big word, but it just simply means an excessive de- desire to find comfort. So what do we do when we're suffering? Some of us just flip on the TV and we just sit there and that's all we do. We can't work. We can't do anything. We just, or we, some guys will, you know, it could be alcohol. It could be throwing themselves into their works. Anything that takes away the pain and brings them comfort. You become narcissistic. It's just all about take the pain away. And then the temptation is to dwell on the negative. Just be negative. It's just everything's going wrong. Nothing's going well. And so these are all realities about suffering that we need to deal with. But suffering, guys, is a way of putting our faith to the test. As believers, and I'm going to make the assumption that we all are, probably not a good assumption, but as a believer, there's a reason behind a testing or a trial or suffering. It's to test our faith. It strips away our self-righteousness. You know, it just, there's something about suffering to where when it comes, this kind of pompous self-righteousness gets weeded away and you start dealing with who you really are and how you really handle things and you really see your reaction to things. It forces you to place your trust in him, God, because you can't change it. You know, John Fryman cannot do anything to change the cancer in his wife's body other than turn to God and pray. That's all he can do. You know, Ray Coleman can't change the fact that his wife has Parkinson's other than turn to God and pray. So it's all about trusting him, whatever the suffering may be. And guys, it... Suffering really does expose flaws and frailties of our faith. Because we can be real cocky when we're talking to somebody else when they're going through suffering. Rejoice in all things, you know. Just keep praising God. And then it happens to us, and suddenly we just, our faith is just out the window. And if somebody comes to us and says that, we just tell them to shut up. Stick it in your ear. I pray this happens to you. 
you know. It really shows just how weak our faith really is because it comes and then we, we panic. We panic because we don't know what we're going to do. Suffering, and I love this quote, suffering is to faith what, a, what an earthquake is to the structural soundness of a building. You can go build a building and it may look great, but the real test is going to come when the earthquake comes, when it gets shaken to the core whether or not it's got a firm foundation, whether or not it's going to stand. Uh, you know, we, we, they found this out, you know, countless times in different places around the globe when earthquakes come and all these high-rise buildings they built crumple because they can't handle the tremors. They can't handle the stress. And suffering is a way to really test just how firm my foundation of faith really is. And again, this is not about quoting Scripture. This is not about carrying your Bible around and and looking good and smelling good, the real test is when the trials come, how you respond. And so suffering for us is really a test of our faith. It also tends to move faith from the intellectual to the experiential. Again, it's easy to say, trust God with all your heart. Rejoice in all things. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks. It's easy to say that until it comes to a time of suffering. And then it's got to, the intellectual doesn't do you a whole lot of good then, does it? Then it's got to come from here. Do I really believe it? Do I really want to do it? And you suddenly have to experience it. And, and usually what happens is when, when somebody you know goes through a period of suffering, it's tough, it's hard, but they come out on the other end and their faith has grown. Because they've had to trust God. It becomes experiential. It's no longer just intellectual. Truth explained is a far cry from truth experienced. And that's why it's really easy for me to sit here and say, you know, I can teach you all kinds of stuff on suffering. Lord, just don't let me go through it. But it would probably be better, and it would have been better had I got somebody up here who's been through suffering, legitimate suffering, to stand up here and give his testimony how God saw him through the suffering. Because then it's, this is real life stuff. This is no longer academics. This is reality. I can explain it, but it's a whole lot more powerful if I've experienced it. God is good. God saw me through. Well, let's look at Job, and we're going to blow through this pretty quick. You, you, you guys know the story of Job. Interesting man, um, just one of those guys that just seemed like everything that could go wrong happened to this guy. And we even use that term, guy, that guy lives the life of Job. I mean, you know, he's a contemporary of Job. He, everything's going wrong for this guy. Well, who was he? We're told in Scripture he was righteous. And these are real important to understanding this story. He's a righteous man, okay? That means he's blameless. We're told he was upright in everything that he did. Most of these descriptors don't fit most of us in the room. Uh, we're not that blameless, we're not that upright. He feared God. He turned away from evil. Did he do it 100% of the time? I don't think so. But he was a righteous man. Secondly, he was a family man. He had a family. We're told he has seven sons and three daughters. That's a good-sized family by any standard. Um, So he loved his family. We're also said he, he was successful. The scriptures tell us that he was the greatest of all men of the East. 
That's in terms of his abundance and his wealth. So this guy had a big family. He was righteous. I mean, he had everything going for him. Loved God, loved his family, and had all kinds of affluence and wealth. And he was also the priest of his family, which means to say that he took his role as father and head of the household seriously. He led his family as a priest would. He was the priest of his family. So what happens? You know the story. He loses it all. He loses it all. He loses his possessions. We're told he has his oxen and donkeys stolen. He has his servants killed. He has his sheep and his servants consumed by fire from heaven. The Chaldeans steal his camels and slay all of his servants. And then to top it all off, all his children are killed in a freak accident. Now, this is a bad day. This is a bad day. This guy, I cannot imagine. And you know how this all started, and we're not going to dwell on it, but this was a test. This is Satan coming, hey, hey, look at Job. And God says, consider my servant Job. He's righteous in all his ways. And he says, Satan says, well, okay, yeah, let me, let me throw a few trials his way, and let's see if he still praises you, if he doesn't curse you. And all of this happens to this guy. He loses all of, all of his possessions. Then he loses his health. Okay, you've, you've lost cattle, oxen, kids, everything. It's interesting, the only thing he doesn't lose in this whole process is what? His wife. Um, interesting when you read about her. Uh, but he loses his health. Listen to this list. This is pretty interesting. Inflamed eruptions. Anybody want that? You know, anybody want a case of inflamed eruptions? Not even sure what that is. It sounds really bad, though. <laughs> How about maggots in your ulcers? Hmm? Yeah, I've got a case of maggots in my ulcers. Well, what do you take for that? Terrifying dreams. <laughs> yeah, if I had maggots in my ulcers, I'd have some terrifying dreams, too. He's got running tears blinding his eyes. I mean, this is, this is pretty sad stuff. He's got fetid breath. Some of you have fetid breath. It's the coffee. But this guy, everything that can go wrong is going wrong. He's got an emaciated body. He's losing weight. Um, well, he's got maggots eating him. He's got erosion of the bones. His bones are weakening. Everything. I mean, this guy, inside and out, is falling literally apart. And he's got blackening and peeling off of the skin. This is a bad day. This, you know... I wake up and my back hurts. Oh, God, what a day. Oh, man, my back. I'm stiff. This is a problem. This guy has, he's lost his possessions. He's losing his health in every conceivable way. And let's look at his reaction. How does he react? How would you react? Let's just take half of that. How would you react? How would you react? Praise God. Is that what you'd say? Take me home or let me do it myself. You know, or I'd, I'd be praying half that stuff on somebody else. Lord, there's plenty. Share it. But what is his reaction? He worshipped. He worshipped. Good grief. This guy's not righteous. He's nuts. He, he worshipped God in the midst of all this stuff. Look at what he says. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Wow. 
lost all his possessions, loses his health, loses his kids. We're talking 10 children this guy lost. And what does he say? Hey, I had nothing when I got here. I'll have nothing when I leave. The Lord gave, the Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Notice he doesn't mention Satan. But what do we do when anything bad happens in our lives? Who do we typically blame? The enemy. It's just Satan's out to get me. You know, Satan's pretty active, but we give the guy far too much credit. We need to concentrate more on the Lord than we do on Satan. We need to praise God in the midst of our trial rather than giving credit to the enemy. Doesn't he love it? He just loves it when we give him credit. But he doesn't mention Satan at all. He shows no sign of bitterness to God, and he places no blame. He doesn't blame the enemy. He doesn't blame his friends. He doesn't blame his wife. He blames nobody. He worships. Pretty amazing. And you know what's interesting about Job is he would never know why he went through he went through. Nowhere in the book of Job does it ever explain. God never explains to him why this happened. And we want the why, don't we? Okay, God, tell me why. Tell me why, and then I'll, I'll go through this. And Job never got to find out why. Yet, he didn't blame God. He worshipped him. Guys, we just got to, you know, and again, I can sit up here and say this intellectually, but we have to learn in the midst of suffering to not blame God but to worship and quit asking why. Explain this to me. He's a good, loving God. We need to trust him. He didn't curse the situation. He accepted it as from God. See, what I do is I curse the situation. I, I get so angry at the situation. If in my past when I had clients who wouldn't pay me and they owed me large sums of money, I would curse the situation. I would curse them. I'd get so angry. I'd get mad at God. But I didn't, I refused to accept it as from God. Maybe God's trying to teach me something here. Maybe God's trying to reveal something about me. He didn't do that. He was willing to accept, accept the bitter as well as the better. See, I can handle the, the prosperity he had. I can handle the big family he had. I can handle, he had great health evidently to begin with. That part was great, and he accepted it well. He was righteous. He was a good man. He was a priest of his family. But when everything turned bitter and bad, he accepted it as from God as well. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. He must know what he's doing. Totally different attitude. Job 2.10 says, shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? Interesting question. What's the answer? Reality is, no, I don't want to accept adversity. Yeah, God, I'll take all the good you can throw my way and the more the merrier. But keep the adversity away from me. But if God is sovereign and God is in control, he must know what he's doing. You know, it's interesting to me if, if again, I keep bringing them up, but if it, Ray, John, others, I know, Ken, you've, you've gone through some things just recently. There are things going on. Why do these things happen? I don't have a clue. But, you know, one of the things I think God is doing is how can we as men rally around these men and love them as Christ would? See, we're the hands and feet of Christ. 
And Christ is all about the suffering, isn't he? He's all about loving those who are hurting. He's about rallying around those who have pain. And we're here to do it on his behalf. And nothing bonds quite like suffering. Nothing bonds a group together than going through mutual pain together. You know, when we did the series Band of Brothers, what was unique about the Band of Brothers, the original Band of Brothers, that 101st Airborne that fought over in World War II? They bonded when they started fighting a common enemy together. They became closer than brothers when they were stuck in the foxhole together and being shot at together. These guys are in that position. And we will bond with them and grow with them as we rally around them. I think that's part of the reason suffering comes into the body of Christ, so that we will love one another. But you know what we do? We stiff arm them. Oh, here comes Ray. You know, Ray's going to want to talk about Priscilla, and I don't have a clue what to say. You don't have to say anything. Just love him. Put your arm around him. Hug him. Pray for him. You don't have to. You know, one of the things I'm learning is I don't have to have all the answers. One of the things I hate more than anything is going to the hospital. You know, I'll take Doug Cecil with me because I, I, I feel like a duck out of water at a hospital. Going to visit somebody who's suffering, somebody who's dying, somebody who's sick. I just, I feel totally, because I feel like i got to have all the answers. You know what? You don't have to have any answers. When I went to see um, Jean Strayer, Han's wife, a couple of days before she died in the hospital, the whole way over to Irving, I had a knot in my stomach. I did not want to go there. I did not want to see her. I did, I wanted to see her. I just didn't want, I didn't know what to say. And I, I, I literally, I had a hard time finding her room, and I wanted to basically just say, I tried, couldn't find her, and get in my car. But I found her. And all I could do was pray for her. I didn't have any great words of wisdom. I didn't share any, you know, great passages of Scripture. I just prayed for her. And it meant the world to her. That's what this is all about. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? Well, quickly, here's some lessons from the life of Job, the book. We've looked at the man. Let's look at the book. This book, guys, is not about suffering of the godly. That's not what it's about. Here's what it's about. It's about the sovereignty of God. See, we read the book of Job, and many of us ignore the book of Job because it's a depressing book about suffering. Why in the world would I read that? That's like going to see a chick flick. You know, why do I want to go see a movie that makes me cry? This is not what the book of Job is about. It is a book about the sovereignty of God in all of life. And nothing reveals the sovereignty of God more than suffering, that he knows what he's doing. He's in control. Because if you put your emphasis on suffering, you're seeing everything from your perspective. Okay? You know, if, if, that's, if you go read this book and you only dwell on the suffering part, you're going to view everything from my perspective, our perspective, how I see things. But when you see things from a sovereignty view, you see it from God's perspective. See, it starts out with this picture in heaven of God and Satan in heaven looking down on who? Job. But we tend to reverse it. We're in Job's shoes looking up going, what in the world is going on here? But it's a view from heaven looking down, God saying, consider my servant Job. 
It's from God's perspective, not mine. And what it reminds me of is that God is in control. God's in control. See, Job, God asked Job a few questions in this book. He's, he, and it, they all start out like this. Have you? Who has? Can you? Do you? Do you know where, you know, who makes the snow to come? Do you, do you understand this? And can you explain? And he asked Job all these probing questions that he can't answer. And what he's trying to reveal to him is, I am the creator. I made it all. I made the human body. I made the cells. I made the dirt. I made the trees. I made the sun, the moon, the stars, the heavens. I made it all. And I'm also the great sustainer. I keep it going. The sun came up this morning. Why? Because God made it do it. He is the great sustainer of all things. He's the great provider. He provides the food we eat. He makes crops grow. He makes the sun, the rain. He makes all of that. He is all wise. God knows everything. And then finally, he's all powerful. This is the part I struggle with. I sometimes doubt just how powerful God is. My problems are too big for God. This circumstance is too big for God. And he is all-knowing. God knows exactly what's going on in both the cases we prayed for this morning. He knows exactly what's going on in your life. He is all-knowing and all-powerful. He's in control. Look at 1 Chronicles 29. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty, indeed everything that is in the heavens and in the earth. Yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. Both riches and honors come from you, and you rule over all, and in your hand is power and might, and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. That's the God we worship in adversity and in prosperity. He's the same. He's great. He's powerful. Secondly, nothing happens by accident. This is what we learned from the book of Job. Nothing happens by accident. And it's real interesting, if, if you go to chapter 39, we're not going to look at it in detail, but I encourage you to go read it. Read the book of Job today. You know, probably surprise somebody, but just go read the book of Job. It's in there for a reason. All scripture is profitable for teaching, reproof, and training in righteousness, including the book of Job. But nothing happens by accident. And he, he gives some interesting pictures. He says, including the birth of man, animal, in the wild. They just, they just have babies. You know, we have people next door have 15 horses. And my little 11-year-old girl loves horses, and she works for them, and she takes care of the horses. And she wakes me up the other morning, like 2 in the morning. She says, Dad, Dad, one of the horses is having a baby. And I'm like, great, go back to bed. She goes, Dad, we've got to go help it. I'm like, I'm not going to go help a horse have a baby. I don't even like horses. And she goes, Dad, Dad, you know, really, it's having its baby. And I said, go to bed. They do this all the time. She doesn't need my help. The next thing I know, my wife's up, and they're off traipsing off to go help the horse have its baby. Great experience for them. I'm not going to help. Isn't it amazing (laughs) that animals know how to have babies without our help? And he says, you know, these things happen, and they don't happen by accident. God planned it. He talks about the apparent apparent uselessness of a wild ox or a donkey. You know, what, what good use is a wild ox or a donkey? Well, They're out there. God made them for a reason. They don't plow. They don't do anything useful, but they're not there by accident. He talks about 
Ostriches. I don't know a whole lot about ostriches, but they do kind of interesting things. It's not by accident. He talks about the fearlessness of a horse in battle. Horses can be very timid creatures, but there's something about them in battle that they become fierce. They're wired some way that makes them do that. It's not by accident. He talks about the nesting habits of an eagle. And all he's doing is he's saying, Job, would you look at nature? Look around you. Nothing happens by accident, including the adversity of a righteous man. Nothing happens by accident. God knows what's going on. He has a purpose for everything, from the animals out in the field to the adversity of a man who is righteous. Nothing happens by accident. And no one, nothing can frustrate the plans of God. Man, if you hear nothing else this morning, hear this. Nothing can frustrate the plans of God. Chapter 42, verse 2 says, I know you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. God has a purpose for Sarah Fryman. God has a purpose for Priscilla. And it cannot be thwarted by anything or anybody till his plan is perfected. You can't frustrate the plans of God. Satan is powerless against the ultimate plans of God. And men can't alter God's plans for us. It cannot happen. Genesis 50:20. as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. This is um, Joseph talking to his brothers after they had sold him into slavery and he ends up second in command in Egypt. He says, you meant it, God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. You wanted to do evil, God turned it into good. You cannot thwart the plans of God. Nobody can. And men can't even understand God's plans. Job 42.3, therefore I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful to me which I did not know. I can't understand the ways of God. I don't understand adversity. I don't know suffering. I don't know why this is happening to Priscilla, why this happened to John. I don't understand this stuff. And it's not my job to have to understand it. Circumstances can't prevent God's plans from taking place. God's at work. God knows what he's doing. God is in control. Finally, God's righteous. He can do no wrong. You, you may not understand it now, but I guarantee he's going to reveal his plan. We may not see the righteousness in what's going on in your life and their, their lives, these two men and their wives. We may think what this is, they're going through is unfair from a human perspective. Remember, this is us looking up. But we need to start looking down. How does God see things? But keep in mind, God's in control, and he is always righteous in all his ways. Well, let me close with this. Sometimes God comes in the clouds. See, we think of sunshine. It's the good times. God must be happy. God must be blessing me. But sometimes he comes in the clouds. It's our darkest hours that we sometimes get our most vivid glimpse of God when times are tough because that's when we have to turn to him. It's when the glitter of all that the world has is, gets removed that we can see the glory of God. I guarantee these guys who are going through this time right now, suddenly the things, when, when your wife gets cancer or your wife is suffering from Parkinson's and she's lost 20 pounds in six months, the things of this world don't mean that much anymore, do they? I don't really care what kind of car I drive. I want my wife well. Everything takes a different perspective, and we begin to see God from a different perspective. 
It's sometimes when we realize that we are out of control that we finally become willing to relinquish control. I can't fix this, God. Will you help me? Will you strengthen me? Will you step in? And it's when we realize that we're weak that we realize just how strong he is. I think God is always in the habit of trying to reveal our weakness, just getting us to realize just how weak we are. And it's when we think we can't go on that we turn to his grace for strength. I can't, I can't walk another step. Yeah, you can in the power of God. Well, what I want to do is I want to play a song, and this is how we're going to close. Chris, if you'll start that. I want you to listen to the words. I'm going to put them up on the screen and just listen to this song. It's a pretty powerful song, and it's called Sometimes He Comes in the Clouds. So sure I'd find him. I've looked in the pages and I've looked down on my knees. I've lifted my eyes in expectation to see the sun still refusing to shine. But sometimes he comes in the Sometimes his face cannot be found Sometimes the sky is dark and gray But some things can only be known Sometimes our faith can only grow We can't see So sometimes he comes in Sometimes I see me a sailor out on the ocean, so brave and so sure, as long as the skies are clear. Clouds start to gather. I watch my faith turn to fear, but sometimes he comes in the clouds. Sometimes his face cannot be found. Sometimes the sky is dark and gray, but some things can only be known. Sometimes our faith. Sometimes.
Father, we come to you this morning, and we admit that we prefer sunshine over the clouds, and that, Father, we don't like adversity. We don't like suffering, but it's inevitable. It will happen. And, Father, we want to be men who respond well to adversity. That, Father, we show our faith to be strong in the midst of the tough times. And, Father, I hesitate to do this, but I do thank you for adversity. Because it's then that you really reveal how much my faith needs help. And how weak my faith really is. Father, there are men in this room who are going through some tough times. They've got some adversity going on. And I pray that they would embrace it. I pray that they would worship you in the midst of it. That, Father, the thing that sets us apart as believers in Jesus Christ is that we believe in a sovereign God who is in full control and the rest of the world has no hope. Father, let us be the kind of men who show that we trust you even when we can't see. That's what faith is. We can't see the results. We can't see the future. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know the answers, but we trust you because you're in control and you love us. Father, if there's anybody in this room this morning who's hurting that needs prayer, I pray that you would have them come forward. They'd talk to me, talk to another man, that they would open their heart and not suffer alone. Because we're meant to lift one another up. I pray, Father, for every situation represented in this room, for situations all throughout Christ Chapel, other churches represented in this room. Father, suffering is the way for the body to heal itself. And we need to be a part of that process. Show us how. Show us how just to love one another. And Lord, we're going to thank you even now for what you're going to do in Priscilla's life, in Sarah's life, and other lives in this room over the days, the weeks, and the months ahead because you are a sovereign, holy, righteous, loving, powerful God. And you are in control. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son and our Savior. Amen. Well, guys, pick up a lesson for next week, and I promise it's more positive.